I know that sometimes during the course of the worship, you go through and you're kind of, you just get in the routine and you're, you sort of go on autopilot, so to speak, and maybe that's not the right way to phrase it. But this morning I was so engaged, and especially during that part where Wes agreed to create a Chick-fil-A fund. Man, I, my heart leapt inside of my chest. Um, I didn't see that on the app, but I'm sure we'll get there soon. Oh, it's so good. Um, it is so good to be here. And this year we have been talking all about being strong and courageous and how that affects us individually and as a congregation. Our theme verse has been Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, where God says, Have I not commanded you? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We are right now in a series called Struggle, where we are looking at the, the things particularly that people of faith must battle. We all human beings, you know, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We know that to be true. But when you step into the waters of baptism, when you begin that very first step of a lifelong journey, the struggles take on a different form. They take on a deeper form. And when you're a person of faith, you need to have perspective. So far, we've talked about several of the common struggles that we have, doubt and fear and guilt. And today we're going to talk about avoiding anger. I don't know if you realize it or not, but there seems to be a slow simmering boil everywhere. People are just going around living in a totally ticked off manner. And you just drive down the road for 30 seconds. And I dare you to try to not find someone who is losing their mind. I get construction is bad in Wichita. I get it. I, Kellogg and Greenwich is probably, yeah. But the, the idea that such a little thing like orange traffic cones sets us off. Uh, I, I know, thankfully, it's been a relatively calm and uneventful political year. And so people are not angry in that regard at all. Everything's calm and cool and collected. That's good. So we don't have to worry about that. Just take a look at your social media feed, whether you're Facebook or Twitter or whatever. There is just, I mean, it doesn't take anything for a comment war to engage. You know, think of when people began the Internet and what they thought that the power of that technology would do to our world and here we are living in that age where we can communicate with anyone at any time instantaneously. And we use that technology to share photos of cats and argue with strangers. We're so angry. It's like the more we have and the better things are doesn't resolve this underlying issue of our anger. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it's innate, if it's just a product of our culture. But some of it, I think, has to do with a choice about what kind of attitude we're going to have. You probably heard the old story about a set of parents who had twin boys. And though they looked alike, 
in attitude, they could not be more different. One was ever the optimist. You couldn't bring him down. No matter what it was, there was a silver lining in every cloud. He just bubbled with enthusiasm and optimism. And there was always hope. And he never got down and he never got sad. Which is, you would think, would be a good thing. But kind of got to be annoying. And then there was his other twin who was just absolutely the pessimist. He was the Eeyore of the family. It just, there, was a, there was a cloud in every silver lining. I mean, there was a, a perspective that just no matter what happened, it was always going to be bad. So trying to figure out how to parent these boys, they decided they would try a little experiment to see if they could moderate some of the extremes of their behavior. So the two boys, they, they went to their rooms, and, and the optimists, they just filled it full of toys. They were just bright, brand new, still in the package. And for the optimist, they just filled his room, and they just filled it with piles and piles of horse manure. This will affect them. Well, like they, they kind of stood back and watched, and the boys came home, and they went into their rooms, and they closed the door, and they were there for a few minutes, and, and they peeked in on the optimist. And they said, well, buddy, how's it going? And he was just sitting there crying. He's like, these toys, I'm just going to open them, and they'll break, and it'll just be terrible. I don't even want them. I think of all the kids who don't have toys. And they were just so depressed, they shut the door. They, they went to the other room, started to open the door, and he just burst out. He was just bubbling over. He was, he was so happy, and he was covered in horse manure. And they said, son, what are you doing? Why are you what, so excited? And he said, oh, I know. You're never going to believe it. My room is full of horse manure, and I just know if I kept on digging, eventually I would find a pony. <laughs> Your attitude toward things affects a lot of things, and... You know, I heard this quote one time, and I've I've always kept it in mind, and it's this. Most people are exactly as happy as they've made up their mind to be. You came here to worship this morning, and if your attitude was optimistic and enthusiastic and uh, expecting to meet God and to meet God's people, that's what you're experiencing. But if you came and you sort of expected things to stink and not be that good... That's the perspective you're going to have. You're about as happy as you make up your mind to be. You're about as angry as you make up your mind to be. So if the world is in this low, boiling, simmering rage, my question is, what have you chosen? Is this you? Are you angry? Are are you flying off the handle at your kids? Are you unable to get along with your family? Do your coworkers dread when you come in? What do you like in traffic? What are you spreading on social media? What does your face say? Does it look like you have been weaned on a pickle? The question is not what's happening in our world, but what's happening within you. Hopefully, you've not chosen the route of Mr. Angry. Anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Right, right. Here comes an airplane. You like to read minds, Meg? I got something for you to read wait, right wait, wait, wait. here. Let's copper. What's that? That's it. No, no, no. Read. Find your happy place. Ah! 
Well, what would you do if you're so smart? I'd tell you, but you're too dumb to understand. What? Of course your tiny brain is confused. Guess I'll just have to dumb it down to your level. Sorry you don't speak moron as well as you, but let me try. That right there is going to be some of you in traffic tomorrow morning. Now, we have fun, we joke, because we know there's some truisms there. But can I take you to a more serious aspect when anger first really veered its ugly head? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, it's after sin has come into the world. And in fact, it's after Adam and Eve have had their first children, two brothers, Cain and Abel. Oh, I don't know if they were like those twins, but they were definitely different. And when they came to worship... There was a perspective that they had, and then there was a perspective that God had. The scripture reads, starting in verse 2 of chapter 4, Later she gave birth to, her brother, to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, pay attention. This is what the scripture says. So that Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Just right there. Cain was in that slow, simmering rage. And I get this picture of sin being right there, ready for what happened next. God said, it desires to have you, but you must master it. And so the natural reaction is that anger is a, it is a flesh problem, but it's something that I just have to be stronger. I just have to I do it myself. I have to tell myself not to be that way. And I, that's, that's okay to start there, but it won't resolve the anger. It won't fix it. There's something deeper, unyielding within you that causes anger and sin. As of course we know the story ended up, he ended up murdering his brother. Jesus would later reference, not directly, but he would say, if you're angry with your brother, you've got murder in your heart. He's pointing back to this story. See, you might think that your road rage is just kind of, you know, just this thing that I do. It's just me. I can't really change it. That's just, haha, that's just the way I am. But that tells you something about what you've allowed in your heart. It's crouching at your door. And it's ready to have you. So how do we master it? How do we overcome it? The answer is only, and it has always only been the gospel. Turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. This is such a weird picture to me. In, in what is titled in my Bible, Songs of Praise, Isaiah write, says this, In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. 
Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away from me and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will not, I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Now, if you're a person who is a hothead and you've got this low simmering, boiling rage always inside you, just ready to lash out, you need Jesus. You say, well, I already got Jesus. I already got Jesus. I was baptized a number of years ago. Yeah, but you haven't let the peace of Jesus, which transcends all understanding, reign in your heart. Else you wouldn't be getting every little thing tripping your trigger. So if you have a rage problem, what you really have is a sin problem. And that can only be rectified through the blood of the Lamb. That, that was the only thing that rectified God's anger against us. And it can only, it's the only thing that's going to solve our anger in our hearts. With joy, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. We'll get to that a little bit later. But you need to know that all the anger that you have, God took. And that all the anger he has for all of the sin that you have was poured out onto his son. And that if you hold on to that any longer, you are holding on to things that God said, you don't need to hold on to that anymore. This morning, I want to give you the key verse that we're going to, we're going to move from the gospel message and now begin to think about how this single set of two verses we can put to practice in our lives, okay? James 1, verses 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, that James read, and that was great planning, by the way. James 1, verses 19 and 20. So he read it, so I know you know it, so I want you to read it along with me. James 1, verses 19 and 20. What I would like you to do is to read the light, unbold, uh, um, to read the bolded words, okay? I'll start off by reading the light words and you read what's in bold, okay? So let's do this together. Let every person be and, and for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This key verse here is something I go over with my children all the time, but there's something deeper here. I don't want you to think this is just a sermon on anger management, because some of you go, well, I'm not an angry person, so I can just disengage from this. But this has to do also with our relationship toward God. And so we're going to be talking about not just how we relate to one another, but also how we pour into our relationship with God and our attitude towards him as well. To avoid anger, the first thing you have to do is listen up. Now, with people, this is a great uh, people skill. You can always tell the people who've read how to win friends and influence people because they're the type of people, when you're in a conversation, they say, oh, tell me about that. And what do you mean by that? Oh, I'd like to know more about that. What are they doing? They're asking questions to get to know the other person. You know, a good conversation should be like a ping pong match, you know, where it goes from one side to the other in even stretches. You give a little, you listen a little. But the scripture says you should first listen. This is not something we do well, especially in our culture. 
the first thing we're thinking when someone starts talking is, oh, that reminds me of a story about me. I've got to wait till they're finished so I can speak up about what I want to say. Oh, that makes me think, oh, this will be a really good comeback. Hold on just a second. I'm just going to type it in here. I, I just want to say, if the first thing you've got to do is listen. Not listen to think about your response. Not listen to think about you. But listen as a way of loving. Wouldn't the world be a different place if we started by listening? You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And some people forget that reason. Sometimes you get in a conversation and you serve it up and the ball doesn't come back. Uh, me, 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 I, I, me, 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 I, 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 me, 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 me. Oh, enough about me. How do you feel about me? <laughs> you know, it's just all about them. It's a one-sided thing. My question is, are you listening? Are you listening in your marriages? And you have this slow, simmering rage, and you know why? Because neither one of you is listening. Oh, I'm listening. They're just not listening. No, 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 no. You are not listening. You're having trouble at work? You're not listening to your boss. Oh, I listen to him. He's a jerk. He doesn't need to be. I, you, he's not. You're not listening. Stop always thinking about what you have to say and start by listening. This is really, really important eternally. We've got to listen to God first. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. One of my favorite, favorite Old Testament stories is the story of the calling of Samuel. And we talked about this on Mother's Day and about Hannah's courage to be able to give up her, her firstborn and the lessons that that involved. But when she took little Samuel to the temple, he learned a lesson. See, Samuel's going to become a prophet in a time when most people didn't hear from the Lord. Let's start at 1 Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Have you ever stopped to think, why was the word of God so rare? Why did God not speak more? Maybe, just maybe, it's because we aren't taking the time to listen. You said, we, us now? Oh, yeah, it's always been a human problem. There were not many visions. Verse 2, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could hardly see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. When the Lord called Samuel, this is one of Grace's favorite stories, too, because when I tell it, I do what I'm going to do with you, okay? Samuel answered, I'm sorry. Um, Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli. And he said, here I am, you called me? But Eli said, I didn't call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, you, you called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized. With the wisdom of the ages. That the Lord was calling a new prophet. He was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. 
And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Isn't that wonderful? Here's a prophet who's been preaching. He's been using his mouth the whole time. But old Eli, whose vision is fading, understands that a prophet must first listen. His job, my job, is not to get up here and just talk to you. So much of my job is just listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so Samuel went and lay down in the place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now you think, oh, is this a lesson on preaching? Because, I mean, I think there's only one guy in the room that this applies to, really. I mean, if you can this week stop, Talking to God and counseling God and advising God and questioning God and suggesting to God and just close your mouth. And in your prayer closet or in wherever you pray, just say to God, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. How might that change the world? How might that change the church? And most of all, how might it change you if we only had Samuel's response toward the Lord? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Don't just think about what you want to say to God. Ask God what he wants to say to you. Number two, you got to shut up. You got to be slow to speak. Most of the time when we start with God, we start out with all the stuff we have for God. There's that scene in a movie where there's a really funny comedian who, who plays the part of God. And he starts answering prayers. And he's trying to figure out how he's going to answer all of these prayers. And just as soon as he opens... The, the floodgates pour out, you know, it's, it's a room filled with post-it notes. It's stacks and stacks of letters. Just think about what it must be like to God from his perspective. Every single day when people call out to him, what do they do? They talk, they talk, they talk. They ask, they ask, they ask. They just are talking so much. I bet, I bet it's, it's as few as a handful of people that come to the Lord and say, speak. Where your servant is listening. You say, what will happen? Will God speak to me like he spoke to little Samuel? Maybe, but I, I've never heard that. But I guarantee you what will happen is you'll be in your daily Bible reading that day and you'll see a verse and you say, I never saw that before. Or someone will come up to you and say, you know, I need to talk to you about something. And you'll have a conversation and it will open your heart and your mind. If you say, speak, Lord, and your servant is listening, you watch how God will reply, how he will pour into you. Psalm 46.10, that, that verse well known. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. 
That is not a verse talking about how quiet and orderly we need to be in here. That's talking about our attitude towards the Lord. How silent are you toward God? How listening are you towards God? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. Wise people know to keep their mouths closed. Proverbs ten nineteen says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. One version, said, one version says, when words are many, sin is not absent. You think that's true? Sit around your water cooler at work. Listen to the harmless gossip that tears apart your company, little by little. Think of a church that's been torn apart by a few loose lips causing absolute chaos. And if you've come out of that situation, you've come to Northside, you need to know we have a culture here where we don't believe in gossip. We pass positive uh, negatives up. We know there are problems to be dealt with. We pass those to shepherds and ministers and people who can fix the problem. But we pass positives all around. And if you've got an axe to grind, if you've got a hobby horse to ride, you need to go somewhere else. I tell you that in a spirit of love. Because we are a people who are unified and will remain so. And how we do that is we listen more than we talk. And when we talk, we use our words carefully. There was a saying back in the day that loose lips sink ships. I think that's true in life. Loose lips sink lives as well. Or at best, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Finally, you need to slow down. You need to be slow to anger. Maybe you are angry with God for whatever reason. Maybe something, maybe you were abused physically, verbally, sexually. Maybe you've been, you've been holding on to stuff that happened to you early in life and you are angry with God. You got this rage against God. And let me just tell you again in a spirit of love, you got the wrong person to be mad at. I know a lot of people in life and in the Bible got angry at God, but that was misdirected anger. Cain got angry at God. Job got angry at God. Jonah got very angry at God. We're going to talk about him tonight. But in every case, that anger was directed at the wrong one. I can never think of a time when anger at God is helpful or even justified. When you begin to truly understand all that God has done for you, it is beyond comprehension that you could ever hold anything against him. And yet he, like a loving, patient father, will let you beat on him and cry to him and get angry at him. And he understands. But I'm here to tell you that, that is not right. Because God is holy and he is love and he has done everything on this side of heaven to get you into heaven. Sending his very own son. And if you've got anger issues, I want you to get rid of those. I want you to pour those out. You can cry out to the Lord with those and let him carry those, but don't direct them to him. It is proud and ignorant at best and arrogant and rebellious and sinful at worst. For us as finite created beings to disapprove of what God, the almighty, all power, infinite creator does for us. You know, if God was angry at you... You would be gone and there would be a greasy spot where you were sitting. 
And he's had many justified reasons to be angry at you. But you know what he did with that anger? He poured it out. He poured it out and he didn't pour it out on someone who couldn't take it. He poured it out on the only one who could take it, his son. And his only son in the garden in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, he said, Father, let this cup. Now, when he said the word cup, we don't understand that. But in the Old Testament with the Jewish people, the cup symbolized the wrath of God. And when Jesus knew he was about ready to be opened up and that wrath was to be poured out on him for things he did not do, he said, let this cup pass. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Oh, Father, forgive us for those times. Forgive us when we have foolishly raged against you. Father, forgive us for our hard hearts and our unpenitent lives. But, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you didn't pour out that cup on us. And thank you, Jesus, thank you that you were willing to take it. Not that we deserved it or earned it or were worthy of it, but you took it because of your love for us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 and 32 says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When Jesus took your anger, the only price for him taking that cup was that you be able to pour out your cup toward other people. That you would let it go and you would give it to God. Romans 12 says this. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Listen up, shut up, and slow down. And we'll finish with Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Now hear me, hear me, please hear me. The Bible says be angry. It just says be careful when you're angry. There's a difference between righteous anger and selfish anger. Self-righteous anger is the, is the emotion of the fool and the hothead. And proverb has lots of words against the fool. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, but a man of evil devices is hated. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. But righteous anger is when we get angry at the same things that anger God. There's a time for those who are in Christ to be angry like Christ at the things that make him angry and upset. You remember that Jesus went into a temple one time and he grabbed a hold of the table and he, no, I'm not going to do it, I know. But I, he did that. He was angry. He made a whip out of cords, which is never a story you hear about in BBS. He was angry because those people were abusing the poor. They were taking the holy place of God and making it into a marketplace. And that made him angry. And there are to be things as Christians that sometimes we say, enough! That makes us angry when we assault the unborn. When we violently stand up for people who 
will say we ought to be able to give birth to a baby and slice its neck and then give birth to it. That angers God and that ought to anger us. That's righteous anger and that's okay. But those times should be very few and far between. And when they come, I don't know if I can even tell this story, but I remember one time at camp. Albert Brensing, one of our shepherds, he went and he was talking to the boys. And the boys had done something that they shouldn't have done. And all the kids were paying attention. Because Albert Brensing, who is usually as polite and kind, saw something that he believed disrespected and dishonored the word of God. And he took those boys. I remember he said, okay, he came up right by me. He said, Toby, what's going on here? I said, I don't know, Albert. I don't want to see. He said, no, we, we, we got to deal with this right now. And we stopped it. And he took those boys. And I still remember this. I'm sorry, camera people, you have to work. You know, and he marched them. He marched them up the hill. And then he let them have it. Why? Because he would not stand for God's word being dishonored. There is a place for righteous anger. I'm just saying most of the time, it's just self-righteous. We've got to avoid that like the, like the plague. So, this morning, if you're angry, remember that the anger of man does not reflect or produce the righteousness of God. If you're struggling with anger at God or other people, that will not make things right. The only thing who can... the only One who can give you peace is Jesus the Christ. And you need to know the mercy of Jesus to get the righteousness of God. And if your anger has caused you to sin, then you need His forgiveness and His mercy. And if you're angry at God in the gentlest way, as I can say, you don't fully understand God or what He's done. And if you'll come and repent, the Bible says He is ready to forgive. He is ready to receive you. And if you're ready this morning, I want to call you. Now, I want to ask you to let go of the things that anger you and the stuff that's been tripping your trigger and just remember what God's done for you. And if you haven't heard that this morning, but you want to know more about that and you want to talk to myself or one of our shepherds, we'll be glad to study with you more about it. But if you're ready, if you're ready to not just to if you're ready to have not the wrath of Christ of God, but the mercy of Christ poured in you, you can have that this morning. You can have it poured into your heart by confessing Him and stepping into the water. And we'd love to have that. Whatever your need is this morning, I hope that you'll come. And if you're ready to come, but you're not sure about marching down front, you'll see the elders standing down here. You just come and tap them on the shoulder afterwards, and you say, I need to talk to you about something. They need to pray with you about something. And they'll do it, because they're good men who want to help you to know Christ and grow in Christ. If you have a need this morning, won't you come together as we stand and sing?